I'm delighted to be along tonight at the lifeboat again. It's always a pleasure to come, and I'm really thrilled tonight to see so many in the meeting. Since we've had this COVID outbreak, the Sunday evening services seem to have depleted a great deal as we go around from place to place from time to time. And I'm glad to see the very opposite here tonight, and particularly so many young people in the meeting. Uh, you older ones are welcome too, of course, I better make that plain. But uh, we're glad you're here, and I'm glad to be here, and I trust we're going to have a very beneficial and profitable time together. Thank you again for being here, and thank you for the invitation to come. Now, will you turn in your Bible just for a verse or two to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 12? And I want to read one or two verses. Luke's Gospel, and we'll read some verses from chapter number 12. That's the third Gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And look down to verse, verse number 16, please. And he spake a parable. The he there, of course, is the Lord Jesus. And you know what a parable is. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The Lord Jesus was a master at illustration. There's no doubt about that at all. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all, notice, my fruits and my goods. Very, very self-centered. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. Then we come to this word, but. But, one of the buts of our Bible. Wherever you find it and God's behind it, it's usually good. And man's behind it, it's the opposite. But here it comes as a warning. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. I want you to listen to this statement. And whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Let me read that again. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Amen. May the Lord add his own blessing to the public reading of his precious and inspired word. I was with you here in the lifeboat, friends, some time ago. And when coming to that meeting... I was requested to give a testimony to tell you when and where I discovered the Lord Jesus, got to know him as my own and personal Savior. 
I was glad to do that, delighted to have a testimony to give. For no matter how simple a testimony may be, it is yours, it is mine, it belongs to you, it belongs to me. And thank God for the possession of such a thing. But tonight I've been asked to go a little bit further and to tell you something as best I can about the call of God into if you like, full-time Christian service. How that came about and what the outcome and the result of this has been. Now, it's not very easy to pack the details of about 50 years into half an hour. But I'm going to do my best tonight to pick out some things and talk to you about them because I feel that they could be of a benefit to you. On the Saturday night, after I came to know the Lord on a Sunday, a fellow that I had chummed with all my life, and I'm still friendly with, were going to a fellowship meeting in the village that I was brought up in. I was brought up in a little village called Ballyhalbert, down in the Ards, Peninsula, that's where I come from. And we went along together, the two of us, to this meeting. And this was the first time that we had gone to a meeting where the two of us now were believers. He had discovered the Lord at five years of age. I was in the room the morning that his mother pointed him to the Savior. And of course, from that day... Until this day, he has continued to go on with the Lord. Thank God for that. But finding the Lord on a Sunday, going to the meeting the following Saturday, the two of us were now on common ground. What do you think happened? The preacher didn't turn up. He never came. There was a dear brother there that I could have seen far enough. You ever meet anybody you could see far enough? Well, I could have seen this man far enough because he came to us and he said, I think that you two young fellows should take the meeting. Well, I said, I think we shouldn't. You know, six days saved. And here's a boy wanting us to preach the gospel. Well, I don't know how he did it, but he persuaded us to do it. And between the two of us, somehow or other, we managed to wrestle our way through the meeting. It was a pleasure, a real pleasure. That meeting, I will never forget. The reason why I'll never forget it, my friends, was simply this. That somehow, that night, it stirred a hunger in my heart to preach the gospel to others. And that hunger has never vanished. And it has never diminished. It's there tonight as strong as ever. And there's no greater privilege on earth, I believe, than bringing the message of Christ and Him crucified. That begun in my heart that night. Well, the two of us went on together for a while and invitations to preach came. We did a number of missions. We were encouraged. 
God blessed and people got wonderfully saved. Now remember, I was about 17 and a half and he was 17. We hadn't any experience of the work of God at all. Everything we'd done was a learning curve. And a lot of things, we learned them the hard way. However, time went on. And one day he came to me and he said, Look, I'm covering or jumping over a lot of ground here. But he said, I've been, we didn't always be together. Sometimes we were, sometimes we weren't. And he told me he had received a call to Glen Arm Baptist Church. And he had decided to accept the call. So I wished him every blessing. There was no argument, no dispute or debate of any sort. But that meant for the first time we were now going our separate ways. Now, I was carrying on just as I had been doing. Preaching the gospel, trying my best to bring others to the Savior, getting many encouragements from the Lord along that line. One of the most remarkable ones was seeing my grandmother and her daughter and granddaughter all saved on the one night. That to me was a tremendous blessing. They're all away home to glory long ago. But by this time I had managed to get myself married. I think you know what that is all about. And we had three daughters. And I was running a little business in the town of Newtonards, which was providing me with a living. And I was preaching the gospel at missions at night, and I was self-supporting, and I was happy. That went on for about maybe four years. But I want you to listen hard to this. Time went past, friends, and I began to get into a very difficult corner. The difficult corner was this. The business began to expand. It was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that was bothering me. Because not only was the business expanding, so were the invitations to preach. And I was finding it very difficult to handle the two. Now, this is where the call of God comes into the issue. I was up at my mother's house where she lived in the country on a Saturday afternoon. And my wife and the children were there too. And I slipped off into another room because I was coming on the Sunday to preach the gospel and minister the word at a conference between Lurgan and Banbridge at a place called Anahanoon. And I had to get things sorted for those two meetings. I needed to do some preparation. But I must tell you this. An opportunity had come my way on the Monday morning to simply sign a document. That's all I'm saying. And if I had done that, it would have doubled my business interest. And if everything had gone well and I didn't see why it shouldn't, 
I would probably have been set up for life. And the battle was on in my heart. I decided what I was going to deal with in the afternoon. And then it came to the meeting at night. And as I thought about the meeting and prayed about it, I was coming to a country area, farming community, and I thought about this man that we read about, the rich farmer. I have never preached on the rich farmer. Never. From that day to this. And I'll tell you why. I was sitting there meditating on this particular portion that I read to you. Outlining it before my mind. And my mind fastened on verse 20. That I emphasized to you in the reading. And here's what we read. But God said unto him. Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Now my friend, if you're not a Christian tonight in the meeting, and you're not saved, please think about that. Because this could be the very night that your soul can be required of you. The very night. I remember preaching in Ballyclare one night many, many years ago. And as I was going, went down to the door to shake hands with the people, there was a young man came down, full of the joys of life, he thought. And when I put out my hand to shake it, he pushed it away. And he said, I'm not going to shake your hand. He said, I never heard such nonsense as that in all my life. I'm a way out to enjoy the world. I was asked for a cup of tea at the end of the meeting, which I didn't expect. There were no mobile phones at that time, and these people didn't have one in the house. There was a phone box, and I stopped at the phone box to phone home to let them know I was going to be late. And this car went past me, white car, I can see it yet. And he wasn't driving fast, he was flying low. And I heard a smash. And I went up the road. And I came on a scene that I'll never forget. There was a bend on the road. And the car was halfway through a wall. People were gathering round. They had pulled the driver out and he was dead. He was gone. And they were trying to get the other guy out. Thank God he lived. But I was horrified. Because when I went over and just pulled back the blanket... It was the young man who, ten minutes earlier, had told me I was talking nonsense and he was going out to enjoy the world. If he wasn't saved in those ten minutes, and I'm not the judge and I don't know, he was only ten minutes from hell. That's it. And that could happen to any one of us. Prepare to meet thy God. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. But here's what hit me. Then whose shall these, sorry, those things be which thou hast provided? And I began to think about the following morning and the document that I was to sign. 
and the possibility of business extension. And friends, there was no way I could sign that. No way I could honestly do it. Who shall these things be which thou hast provided? And I remember falling down on my knees in that room and speaking to the Lord and I said, Lord, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what you're telling me. I don't know where you're leading me. But I'm not signing that thing. And I'm going to shut the other half down. Took me a little while to do that, about six months all told. And I said, I'm going out. And I'm going out with you. If you want me, you open the doors. If you don't, you shut them. And that, as I've told you, friends, is over 50 years ago. And the doors are still opening. Thank God for it. Here I am, back in the lifeboat again. Life has not been easy in ways. Maybe I should share this, maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to do it anyway. I've had major surgery for cancer twice. I've had two serious heart attacks. I'm better off than you are because I've got a tin heart ticking in here that takes over. But the other one gives up, you see. And about six weeks ago, I'd major surgery in the hospital again, but I'm here. Thank God for it. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. Don't ever let anybody tell you anything different. The Lord is good. He has been seriously good to me. Well, I don't know what sort of a call you would call that, you see. Uh, The call of God, I believe, centers around the will of God and the work of God. And I felt that day that God's will for me was to give the work of God priority. I felt that. I did that, and I'm certainly not sorry. I don't regret it. God has been good. I'm looking around the congregation tonight. I can see a few people here that have had the joy of leading to the Savior. That makes it all worthwhile. C.H. Spurgeon said that whenever... He led his first soul to Christ. It was like a young lion getting its first taste of blood. And he said, I cried out, give me more. Give me more. Give me more. You never tire of leading people to the Savior. Getting someone else into the kingdom of God is second only to getting in yourself. I believe that with all my heart. However, I had to settle that with the family and all the rest of it. And I remember my wife saying to me, she said, look, if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. And I'm happy, I'll go behind you. And that's what we did. So we came up to this part of the world. The reason why we came to Lurgan was quite simple. No matter where you went to or from, to, sorry, from Valley Halbert was a journey. I was traveling miles upon miles upon miles to meetings I did a mission in Fermanagh down in Brother Bertie's country. And the journey was serious, you see. And I had to do something about that. So 
we hit on somewhere halfway, and we landed in the town of Lurgan. We went there for two years, 40-odd years ago. You see how things don't always work out according to your ideas. Two years for a trial. Well, it's a long trial because we're still there. Thank God he has opened and closed doors and enabled me to go on by his grace until this day. Can I say something to the congregation in the meeting tonight? I'm looking down here tonight and I see a lot of young folk. You know, there was a time when I sat where you are and tried to figure it all out. Turning it over in my mind. What did God want me to do? Was I right? Was I wrong? Maybe you're in college education. God bless you. It's a burden easy carried. Very much so. Do you no harm at all? Maybe you're thinking, I want to do this with my life. I want to do that with my life. And I want to do the other with my life. You ever think of the work of God? You ever think of giving your life over to the Savior and serving Him? Do you ever think of God first? Do you ever think of getting down and doing what I did and saying, Lord, here am I, send me. And if you want me, an old fella, I knelt with one night in Belfast and he was a rare character, one of the weird boys from the back street and he wanted to be saved. And I put my arm around him and he says, I'm going to pray. And he prayed, Lord, if you want me, you can have me. That's all he said. And he rose up and you creature in Christ, wonderfully saved. But my friends, that's maybe what you need to do tonight to ponder this issue. Maybe I'm touching a raw nerve in somebody's life tonight. But I wouldn't want you to look back and say, I wish I had given him more. Hymns like that bother me. Because if you give him more now, then someday you'll wish no such thing. Sometimes they're just an excuse for laziness. That's all. I met a man in Mexico City. That's quite a wee bit from here. And dear old Tom was working with the street kids. And he was a character. And he was in his 70s working among those boys and girls. And if ever you've been there, I tell you, it's something serious. Dreadful altogether. When I saw the rats that they were living among, I thought they were cats. They were so big. And dogs, the like of it, I've never seen. If you'd have touched one of those kids, they would have hit you alive. But if you were doing them good, they never bothered you. That amazing. But I met this old fella, and I said to him, he was Scottish. And I said, how long have you been here? He said, I've been here about eight years, and this hit me as odd, very strange, because at that age, I thought he'd been there for a lifetime, and I said, tell me the story, how come 
You didn't get here until you retired. It was obvious because of his age that he had got the 65 first. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, Brother, let me tell you, I never thought about the work of God until I retired. And God came and he said, Look, I wanted you in Mexico among the kids years ago. And you didn't listen to me. He says, I thought a way back. And I remembered. And I thought I was imagining it. But he said, I just packed up everything. And I came here to Mexico. He lived in a flat on the seventh story and no lift. I'll never forget that. Would have killed you. Walking up to the house. And I've never forgotten this because he had a key. And if you went to the door, he had made a parachute out of a hanky. And he, he, he pushed the, the, the hanky out of the window. Down like this, you see, and it floated down. And you gathered up the parachuted key and you come up the stairs and opened the door. And that's how you got in. He was crafty enough to do that. He wasn't coming down. There was this door downstairs. You needed a key to open it. That's how he did it. He parachuted the key down. Never forgotten that. My friend, isn't that a sad thing? 65, and he realized he ought always to have been there in the service of Christ. I want to say something to you about discipleship. You know, you may disagree with this, but I don't mind anybody disagreeing with me as long as they know I'm right and they're wrong. You can argue with me afterwards if you like. But I used to think, and maybe preached it too, that once you became a Christian you automatically became a disciple. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure. Now let me explain. What is a Christian anyway? A Christian is a person who has chosen heaven in place of hell. Now if you haven't done that, then you're not a Christian. You can be as religious as a Pharisee. You can be as sober as a judge. But you're not a Christian at all. You need to choose Christ. You need the Lord. You need to make him your savior. I was reading a wee hymn there. Behold, I'm standing at the door. Oh, hear me pleading evermore. Oh, weary heart. Oppressed with sin. May I come in. May I come in. You can open the door just now on that seat. And you can let Jesus in. What's a disciple then, you say? Well, I think a disciple is a person who has chosen heaven instead of earth. Can I repeat that? A disciple is a person who has chosen heaven instead of earth. I went down. Today, reading carefully, the Lord calling as many of the disciples as I could find in about half an hour. He called Peter and his brother, follow me. He took them from the fishing. And they rose up, forsook their nets, and followed him. They chose heaven instead of earth. Matthew, he's sitting at the receipt of custom. Follow me, Matthew. He shut the door and did the same. He left it all behind and followed 
Christ. And you can go right down. That's discipleship. And I want to tell you, friend, it can be a very costly thing. It really can. But don't forget this. That no matter how costly it may be, it's not as costly as losing your reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Listen. Listen. Let me put a challenge out to the meeting. Here's a great old gospel verse. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So you don't get into heaven by works. You don't work to get to heaven, you work because you're going. That's a different issue. But we stop there. But I don't think we should. For here's what it says. Now listen, believer, listen. For we are his workmanship. That's you. Created in Christ Jesus. Listen. Unto good works. And listen to this. Which God hath before ordained. That we should walk in them. You got that? Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I'm not going to do this. But here's the challenge. If I were to start with our brother and bring you up here one at a time. And ask you what the good works are that God has foreordained. That you should walk in them. I wonder could you tell me. Or would you just stand and blush. Could you say how do I know? Ask him. Ask and you shall receive. Knock. And it shall be opened unto you. Seek. And ye shall find. That's a big challenge isn't it? And I believe that challenge is the life. Of every believer in this meeting tonight. Let me tell you a story. I'm almost out of time. I can say virtually anything about this, friends, because the people involved are no longer here. They're gone on into glory. I was conducting a mission away at the far side of Monica, and we were having a good time. People were coming in. God was blessing, and people were getting saved. There was one lady who impressed me greatly. She was working her fingers to the bone, getting on saved people in under the sound of the gospel. And God was really blessing her effort, and people were coming to trust in the Lord. Three weeks the mission end lasted, and those responsible said to me, Look, Will you come back and do a few nights on prophecy? Well, I said, I'm beginning a mission next Sunday night. I'll have to do it now. Come in tomorrow night and work through a few nights with you. They said, that's fine. So we announced it. And I remember talking the very first night on the Lord's return. Where I went from there, I don't know. But 
On one of the nights, I was speaking on the judgment seat of Christ. A brother, sister, don't you forget that word. Don't you believe that judgment's over for the believer? It's the judgment seat of Christ. Now, neither I nor your pastor wrote that. That's God's word. The judgment seat of Christ. When that week started, I noticed this lady getting further and further back. And her interest started to wane. And I was worried. From this extent that I thought I'd said something that annoyed her. You see, because you can't do that. That's something I pray about regular. And every time I get onto the platform, Lord, don't let me say anything that will turn somebody the wrong way. I don't want to do that. But you could. You could be easily misunderstood. I asked the people I was staying with where this lady lived. They said she's not far away. She lives in a house just up the road there, about half a mile. So I decided, here goes this morning. I'm going to be up for a walk and to see if I can make contact with her. I'll never forget this. I came on this little house, lovely, little bungalow in the country. And she was outside trimming a rose of one of those trellis things. I can still see this. At the gate, at the front. And I walked over and I said hello. Oh, she said, good to see you. Come on in. Let's have a cup of tea together. So I said, okay. I never refused. Two things I never refuse is tea and money. I get more tea than I get money, but the tea's welcome too. But anyway, whenever I went into the house and the tea was made and we were sitting talking, I thought I'm going to hit the nail on the head here right away. And I looked at her and I said, here, tell me. I've noticed your enthusiasm waning during the mission. Can you tell me why? And before I knew where I was at, I was in the middle of a bucket of tears. She started to weep. Finally, when she got herself composed, she said, I'm going to share this with you. I said, fair enough. She said, you know, when I was a young girl, now she wasn't a young girl now, she had married a farmer, and they were both retired and bought this little house and the son or whatever was carrying the farm on. She said, the Lord called me to the mission field very distinctly. She tell, told me where, but I can't remember at the minute exactly where it was that the Lord wanted her to go. But she said, I was keeping company with this man. And he had no call of God on his life at all. But she said, I had a bitter choice to make. I either had to obey the Lord and go to the mission field. Or I had to refuse that and marry him. Because he was pushing the issue. She says, I made a choice. I said, what was your choice? I knew. She said, I chose to marry him. 
I said, how has that gone? She said, listen, I have never or could never have had a better husband. He was outstanding. And my children couldn't have had a better father. Now you say to me, what was the problem? Listen, here's what she said to me. Now I want you to listen hard to this, particularly as a young believer. She said to me, Harvey, with tears in her eyes, all my life, I have enjoyed his best. And all my life, God's second best. Got that? All my life, I enjoyed his best. And all my life, God's second best. And she said, when you began to talk about the judgment seat of Christ and giving account of the deeds done in the body, she said, scared the life out of me. Terrible, isn't it? Terrible. Met a dear old man one time. I'm going to finish. He was sitting, I can see him yet, with an overcoat on and a hat in his head over a great big roaring fire. His name was James. I'd never seen the man in my life. But he was a businessman of some sort. And I got quite friendly going in and out and talking to him. Here's what he told me. He said, Harvey, you know, I have so much money, I can't spend my interest. I felt like suggesting giving him a bit of a hand to spend a bit of it, but I didn't do it, nor he didn't suggest it, so that's the word left, it was left. An old guy told me one time, the only pound that you, is any good to use, the pound you spend, you put it in the bank, you don't know who'll spend it. There's something in that. You see, hoarding's an awful thing. But, he told me this, he said, my wife's dead, and we had no children. And he said, I have nephews and nieces come in here. And they'll ask me, Uncle James, how are you? And he said, if I say I'm well, they go out with a frown. And if I say I'm ill, they go out with a smile. He said, I can see it. And they can't wait to get carrying me down that laying in a box until they get their hands in the money. There's two people that I knew who made the wrong decision, I believe. I suppose one of the greatest gospel preachers the world has ever known was a man called D.L. Moody. He was sitting in a meeting in Chicago one night and the preacher said the world has yet to see what God can do with a man who's fully dedicated to him. He was learning to be a shoemaker and he bowed his head and he said, Lord, by your grace I'll be that man. 
He put his hand on America. He put his hand on Britain and they moved to the cross. He became known as the man of a million souls. He had brought at least a million to the Lord. Isn't that something? And here's what he said roughly when he came to the end of the journey. So much to do. So little done. Farewell time. Welcome eternity. Jesus is mine. Isn't that amazing? Is there a Moody here tonight? Young man, young woman, older person even, will say, by the grace of God, that will be me. It all to do with the will of God and the work of God and how you value the two. Let's bow our heads for a moment. One of the meetings, friends, where it's very difficult to know how to close it. Let's just take a quiet minute. And if you're here, the Lord's dealing with you tonight concerning his service. Maybe there's a Sunday school teacher here and you haven't come out into that realm yet. Maybe there's a youth worker. You haven't come out into that realm either. Maybe the Lord's waiting for you. Maybe there's an evangelist here. Maybe there's a pastor here. Maybe there's a teacher here. Maybe there's a missionary here. I don't know. The call of God is so varied. Why don't you just talk to the Lord now? Surrender yourself to him. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. My honesty, friend, I feel a little guilty about neglecting you tonight. But listen, God loves you. And you're a sinner and you're lost. And Christ died for you and rose again for you. He's up in heaven just now and he's calling you, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Will you come? You do the coming. Christ will do the saving. And have a quiet moment to allow the Lord, the Spirit, to work. Lord, we believe that thou thyself hast been here tonight and has ministered a challenge to every one of our lives. Grant that there's not one will leave this building the same as they come in. But grant that every sinner will be saved and every backslider restored and every believer rededicated to the service of Christ. That would be our prayer. God bless this work. 
God bless Pastor Bertie and his good wife and those who help him. And may the lifeboat go on from strength to strength, now and in the days to come, in thy will, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen.